we have been uh, in the book of Ephesians, and we're actually halfway through it. Um, today kind of marks the halfway spot because we end chapter 3 this morning. And up until now, the book has been a lot of doctrine. And that, that's important because Paul is laying the groundwork for what he's going to say in the next three chapters, which are incredibly practical. So, and you find that often in the scripture. You find a good, solid doctrinal foundation, and then you find the practical thing. Uh, one of the problems with people when they look at their Bible is they like jumping to the practical without understanding the doctrinal. And the, the, the problem with that is, if, if you do that too long, you can make the practical say whatever you want it to say. And, and you lose the context of what the person, what the writer and what God wanted you to say. So the doctrinal part of it is really, really important. And so uh, you're going to start to see that as we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6 uh, in, in the next couple of weeks a month. Uh, up until now, Paul's laid out a foundation of your salvation in chapter 1. And he talks about the idea that, that God chose you and adopted you and and, and blessed you in incredible ways, that Jesus redeems you and forgives you um, and, and, and pours out his blessings upon you. He talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and that the Holy Spirit helps you to understand the word of God and has sealed you, has made you his own. He gets into chapter two and he talks about the idea that you and I were, we, we had nothing to offer God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God offers us salvation. And so um, through grace, uh, or, or by his grace, he offers us salvation, and through faith, we can put our faith and trust in Christ. And he talks about uh, how important that is that we have that solid foundation that's not about our works, but it's about his grace and his faith, uh, about our, his grace to our lives. And then chapter 3, Paul deals with this idea of, um, he, he prays for the people, and he prays for their maturity, he prays that the, the people at Ephesus would really grow deep in understanding God's love and concern for them. And he lays out, uh, he kind of takes a parenthesis in the beginning of the book, uh, beginning of chapter 3, and he talks about this idea of, um, look, the, the things that have happened to me are not bad things. The, the, the people at Ephesus saw them as a bad thing. And Paul writes to him and says, look, this, this is a good thing. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, I'm suffering for Christ, but it's okay. This is part of God's plan. And God's using it, so it, it will be fine. And it's important for us to understand that that, that was important for Paul to, to address in chapter 3 because of the way he's going to end chapter 3, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And so here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 3, the last two verses. He says, now, uh, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Uh, this is a doxology, if you will, that he kind of ends this prayer with. That he really started in chapter 1 and, and kind of continues all the way through. But as he comes to the end of it, Paul throws out this passage right here that, that we want to look at. And I want you to notice what he does. Um, he says, he, start, he starts this thing out and he continually builds on it at every step. So he starts out by saying, now to him. So in other words, he's saying, first of all, there is God who you need to understand is involved. And then he goes on to him who is able. So he says, God is able. And then he takes it another step further. He says, God is able to do. So it's not just God. Now, now there's an active element of God in your life. So there is God and God is all-powerful, so God's able to do stuff, and God is able 
to, to do immeasurably, so in other words, exceeding, Paul's saying, so not only is he able to do, but he's able to do exceedingly, and in King James, abundantly. So he adds the idea of God, God is able, God is able to do, God is able to do exceeding, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, God is able to do exceeding abundantly all you could ask. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all you could ask or think. In other words, he builds this progression because he's writing to these people again. They've been concerned. Wait a minute. Why are you in prison? This shouldn't be happening to you. And Paul says, look, my goal for you is to grow in maturity. And when you grow in maturity, one of the things you're going to understand is that as you grow in love and you understand more about God, God is powerful. And God can do a whole lot more than you think he can do. And then notice what he goes on to say. According to his power, that is at work, where? In us. Again, he's talked about this in chapter 1. About God's role in your salvation and, and Jesus Christ's role and the Holy Spirit's role. Then, and again, he's talked about all the way through for the first three chapters. He keeps hammering this idea. Christ is in you. Christ in us. And Paul says, you need to understand. Not only do I want you to grow in maturity and love and understand what God's done, but I want you to understand that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly anything that you could ask or think. And then he goes on to say this. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Paul said, you need to understand that one of the goals that God has is God is going to work in you, through you. His power is going to work through you. Why? For the glory to go to Christ for the glory to be able to be seen in the church. Paul has introduced this new concept to these people of the church. They had always seen themselves as Jews and Gentiles. And Paul says, no, it's not Jews and Gentiles, it's now the church. And you are all one in Christ. And you are all one. And so now Christ is going to take this thing called the church, and he's going to use it to show his glory. He's going to use it so that people can look at the way Christians interact with one another and go, you know what, there's something different about those people. They're all from different backgrounds, but yet they can agree on this. And so Paul lays this out for them to understand the power of God, that God can use them in a great way. Um, I want to go to an Old Testament story um, because there's a, I, I, I think, I think that when Paul is writing this, this story may have been one of the stories that he had in mind. And, 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 and here's why. I want to look at the story of David and Goliath this morning um, in context with this passage. Because a few verses earlier, one of the things, Paul uses a little phrase where he says, don't lose heart. Okay? He's trying to encourage the people to not lose heart. Listen to what David said to Saul in 1 Samuel 17. Um, I'm not going there yet. This is a different thing, guys. But 1 Samuel 17, here it, ah, fingers aren't sticky enough. Here's what Paul says, or here's what David said to Saul. 1 Samuel 17, 32. David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. 
your servant will go and fight him. It's interesting to me that when, in the story of David, one of the things that David says to Saul is, don't lose heart. It's the same thing that Paul said to these people at Ephesus just a few, a, a few verses earlier in chapter 3. So I want to kind of look at that story of David and Saul because I think it helps us understand this power of God thing and this ability of God to do something more than what we can think. Okay? So many of you are familiar with the story. Let me refresh your memory. Let me tell you the story if you don't know it. Um, David has been anointed king. David's a little guy, teenager probably, um, maybe late teens, maybe early 20s, maybe early, early teens, you know. He's a young guy, David is. Um, the prophet comes along, going to anoint the next king of Israel, looks at all of his kids and goes, nope, 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 nope. You got any more? And he goes, well, I got one little guy. I mean, he's like, he's out taking care of, the, you know, he's doing chores. And they go, well, bring him. And it's like, this is the guy. It's like, you know, the brothers are kind of like, really, that's your choice? I mean, that guy, he's your choice? Then David's life goes on, and, not, and, not, and what, what happens is David's dad comes to him and says, hey, I need you to take food to your brothers. There's a big battle going on, and they're fighting for the armies of Israel, so I need you to go take some food up to your brothers. And so you know the story. David then takes some stuff up to his brothers. David gets there, and... There's, there's, at the battle, at the front line, so to speak, what happens is the Philistine army is on one side of the hillside. The children of Israel on the other hillside. And normally what would happen in battle is they would then come charging down the hillside and they would all battle in the middle and then until somebody's army was wiped out. And over time, they kind of looked at it and went, you know, this is kind of a waste. Why are we doing it this way? Um, let's just... Uh, Let's just make this, you send your best guy, I'll send my best guy, and then the other people will be slaves. Whoever, whoever wins gets, gets, gets the spoils. And so the Philistines had a guy by the name of Goliath that they chose to represent them. And Israel was having a hard time coming up with somebody to represent them. And so Goliath comes down and stands in the middle of the valley and starts challenging the nation, the army of Israel. Um, to put it in perspective so you understand how intimidating this was, um, Goliath is somewhere between nine foot four and nine foot nine inches. So let me put this in perspective. The side right there on the ceiling, that's 10 feet. Just a little shorter than that. Taller than the bottom of the register, probably right about the top of the register or higher. Okay? If you're looking at it up here, I'm standing, uh, I'm standing at a, not quite nine feet from the floor. Uh, the bottom of the R right there is nine feet. So that's the minimum. Nine four is, is the minimum height this guy is. Okay? Uh, they tell us that the armor that he's wearing is uh, somewhere around 200 pounds, his helmet and his coat. Uh, the spearhead, that on, the spear that he's holding is between 16 and 25 pounds. And the beam that the spear is on is somewhere around 17 to 25 pounds. So roughly he's got about a 40 or 50 pound spear that the guy's holding. Um, in addition to that, his helmet is brass. 
So just think about this for a minute. It's sunny there most of the time. You got this big guy in the valley with this brass, shiny helmet, and the sun just bouncing off of this baby. And he's standing down there, and the story tells us, the text tells us when you get into 1 Samuel, it tells us that twice a day he would come down and defy the armies of God. So two times every day he would march down in the valley and he would mock God, and he would mock God's people, and he would mock the armies, and he would say, send someone down. Your God's so great. Prove it. Send someone down to fight for you and your God. And he did this every single day for 40 days. And David, little David, young, naive David, comes onto the scene to take food to his brothers, who are the warriors, and he goes, what's going on, guys? why isn't anybody going down there? And everybody's scared. Saul needs to recruit somebody. So Saul actually comes along and says, all right, guys, here's the pot. If you will go down and fight the guy and win, I'll give you a ton of money. I'll give you my daughter. And your family will never have to pay taxes again. You know, farmers are going, hey, sign me up. Um, I mean, but... (laughs) Time out, you got to win, okay? You got to win, all right? Uh, so, David, you know, David looks at this and goes, This ain't right. And he comes to Saul and he goes, Is nobody going to go down? And they go, No, nobody wants to go. He's done this for 40 days now. We can't get somebody. And David goes, I'll, I'm in. And like anybody else, they look at David and they go, you know, I mean, this guy goes to the King Saul and says, don't lose heart, I'll, you know, my God will take care of him, we'll be, we'll be fine. And they look at this guy and his brothers come along, and again, I think there's jealousy anyway. Now his brothers come along and start criticizing him going, who do you think you are? You can't do this. You can't. And Saul finally gives in and goes, you know what, look. Nobody else is going. And says, nobody else is going. And when they keep, when they keep badgering him about it, finally David gets up enough courage to look at, at, at the people. And he goes, look, guys. He said, I don't know. He said, I know I can do this. He said, you know, I've, I, I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. And when I killed the lion, I grabbed it by the beard. Now, you just think about that. Okay, I don't know anything about lion killing, but I know this, that's not the end you go for first, <laughs> you know? And David goes, I know I've done that, and, you know, it's just, and this is a giant, this guy's making fun of my God, that ain't right. And so finally Saul goes, okay, I'll let, you know, we'll let you go, but we got to gear you up. I mean, come on, you're just, you got... You got a pair of shorts, a tank top, and a sling, how, and sandals. How good is this going to work? And so he puts his armor on him, which I think had to be probably one of the most comical things in the world to take a king's armor and put it on this kid. And the kid, and you know, I mean, you know, the kid's looking ridiculous. And he goes, I can't do this. 
He said, let me go down with the stuff that I know. I know, I, I live with this slingshot 24-7. Let me go down with it, and I'll be okay. God will take care of me. And so they finally agree because, again, the special forces guys are scared. None of them want to go down. Because this guy's nine, six. This guy's huge. You know, I mean, honestly, his, his armor, his, his helmet and his chest plate probably weigh more than David himself. He is, and, and David, David decides, I'm going to go down after this guy. Listen to the speech that David gives when he goes face to face with Goliath. Here's what he says, 1 Samuel 17. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear, and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Going on. He didn't stop there. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And this guy goes down (laughs) and looks at Goliath and makes this challenge and basically says, you messed with the wrong God. And you know the story. He takes five smooth stones. There is all kind of debate. Why five? Well, Goliath had four brothers and blah, blah, blah. Come on, let's just be honest, okay? Um, if If I've got a chance between a single shot and a five shot gun, I'm taking five with me. You know, and I'm going to reload quick for two, three, four, and five till I'm done. You know, I don't believe there's anything magical about it. Maybe it's his four brothers. Maybe, you know, I, I, I just believe David's smart. You know, David's, a, David's live with this thing. And he put, actually in the Hebrew, it's really fascinating to read this in the Hebrew, but it says he puts the stone in the sling and he slungs it. Um, you know, it's like, it's got a, it's cool phrasing of it, but he basically slings this thing out and you know, the story, it goes right between, hits the guy in the eye, right between the eyes, the giant falls over dead. David walks over and grabs a sword, which I think would have been hilarious because this thing would have been heavy as all get out, takes his sword and chops off his head. Um, by the way, if some of you have been a Christian for a long time, you want a fascinating study? Study Goliath's sword. It shows up again in the life of David. And it's a very interesting story uh, with Abiathar. But anyway, um, he takes David's sword. And it's one thing, by the way, Goliath's sword actually is something David takes back and puts in his tent for a while. Um, but he takes his sword. And, and then the, now the whole Israel army watching this goes, hey, this battle's ours. I mean, look what our God just did. And they come charging down and wipe out all the Philistines. Um, And you know the story. God gets the honor and the glory and the credit for it. 
Here's my question. How come David didn't see what everybody else saw? Everybody else saw a giant. Everybody else said can't do it. What was it about David that made him different? I think that's exactly what Paul is talking to the people at, at Ephesus about. It's the idea that my God is so powerful. I don't care what it looks like. I don't see that. I see my God. And I think that's what Paul is trying to convey to the people at Ephesus. And, and I think that's my challenge to you today. Um, a couple things when you look at the life of David and you look at the life of Paul. Here's what you'll find. One of the things that you'll see is that it was in solitude that they developed their confidence. Um, it was away from the limelight. It was in those stories and those scenes that nobody else knew but David and God. See, David was a shepherd. And so as a shepherd, he didn't have a lot to do other than watch sheep. So while he's bored, his weapon of defense is a slingshot. So he's putting rocks in and trying to hit tree branches and birds and everything else. And so he has some confidence because he's, he's used that a lot. That's, that's, that's what he uses all day long. A bear comes in and takes one of the sheep. And instead of standing back and going, oh boy, glad it didn't get me. David decides, wisely or not, David decides to run after the bear because the bear's got one of his sheep. And he's responsible for the sheep. Now, again, I don't know a lot about bears, but I know if a bear has taken an animal and is starting to eat it, that is not the time to approach the bear. And yet David, I mean, I know guys... You know, I know guys that won't go hunting in bear country without a backup weapon. You know, and it's usually 40 caliber or bigger. Because your odds are not, and to go one-on-one -on -one with the bear? And then a lion comes in and takes it. And David goes after the lion and at some point in some way is able to grab the beard of a lion and kill it. And he goes, you know, I don't know anything about giant killing. Never killed one of those before. But God helped me take care of a bear and a lion. God was with me with the bear and the lion. What's a giant? I'm not worried about the giant. Why? Because I know my God has proven himself back with the bear and back with the lion and God's on my side, and God's going to take care of me. And, and, and listen, that's so important for us to understand. I, I think in your life, you need, to, you need to pinpoint some of those areas in your life where you were up against stuff, and God took care of you. Because when David has to go up against a really big thing that intimidates everybody else in the, in the, in the world there, David's able to go back and say, I've watched God take care of me here. And I watch God take care of me here. And I know that God will take care of me against him as well. And some of those things that you're going through privately that are so hard, 
Maybe God's strengthening you for a battle that's much bigger than even what you're going through now. And you go, well, that ain't encouraging. Well, it should be because God is getting you through what you're getting through, what you're going through now. Because you know as well as I do, life is hard. And life throws stuff at you all the time. And one of the things that you see in, in, in the life of David is David found confidence and strength in ways that God had taken care of him before in solitude. To be able to help him in that time that now he's in a very public deal. And I think sometimes we forget that. It's easy for us to forget how God has worked and how God... Is. And, and, and I want to encourage you. In the Old Testament, there's a principle called ancient landmarks. It's the idea of setting up memorials, setting up stones, setting up reminders. For some of you, you're journal people, then journal it. For some of you, you're art people, then do something art-wise. Or, or do something, you know, do some way to, to, to set those markers, if you will, in your life so that you know, okay, this is what I've watched God do. Why would God abandon me in this big thing? I've watched God take care of me in all these other things. This is just another thing. The other thing that I think you see in the life of David is this idea that David didn't focus on Goliath. David focused on God. Um, I think that's what gets us in trouble sometimes, is all we see is the giant. I mean, think about it for a second. All of Israel, all of the best trained warriors... They didn't see their skill, they didn't see their talent, they didn't see their ability, they didn't see their training. All they saw was the giant. All they heard was his words. They never thought past the giant, because that's all they could see. But this little kid comes along, this teenager, this young guy comes along, and he sees past all of that, because what does he see? He sees his God. And I'm afraid sometimes that what happens to us in life is when something happens in our lives that we're thinking something has happened to us instead of seeing it as something that can happen for us to have an impact on others. And David looks at it and goes, you know what? This day, everyone is going to know my God is God. Yeah, you may talk about David, but you're going to be talking about what my God did on this day. And your head is gone. Because my God is going to take it. All Again, all Israel could see was the giant. All he could see was the circumstances. All they could see was the fear. And again, this was huge. This is intimidating. You let somebody walk in this building who's 9'4 and 9'9". To nine 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 foot nine, almost ten foot tall. I'm getting, I don't care how big you are; you are intimidated. And if he's a warrior, I mean, you know, he. If his spear is thrown at you, and it nicks you, you're dead. David didn't see any of that. He says, not by sword or spirit, it's by my God. And I think the second he let that thing go, God just zeroed that thing in with laser sight level. And then the next thing you know, literally, Goliath didn't know what hit him. And he's laying on the ground, and I can't imagine those Philistine army going, uh, boys, 
run. <laughs> run. Why? Because David's God was at stake. God's reputation was at stake. David says, I'm going to make sure God gets the glory here. And, and, and it is amazing when you look at the story, the confidence that David has. And, and, and that's what I want you to understand. Um, go back to, go back to uh, Philipp, or, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, guys. Yeah, the first one. Now, unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Here's my question to you this morning. J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago um, called Your God is Too Small. Um, and in that, basically, the premise of the book goes something like this. How big is your God? I mean, really, how big is your God? Take whatever problem you're up against right now, whatever you struggle with, and here's my question. How big is your God? Because the reality of it is, most of us have this small little God that we serve. And we don't see a God who can do abundantly above everything that we could ask or think. We don't see a God who says, you need to understand, you focus on me and you let me be honored and glorified. Listen, the sky is the limit on what I can do. And we, we actually, I think, hinder what God wants to do because we get in the way because we won't see past our own fears and insecurities and everything else. And we, we look at it and go, well, you know, God can't, you know, God just can't fix that one. How big is your God? How big? How big? And this is what Paul's trying to get across to these people. He's saying, look, we serve, it. We serve a God who is big enough that when it came to creating the world, just said, sun, solar system, fish, in every kind of variety, in every kind of shape, and every kind of size, with a simple word. We serve a God who, when he decided to judge Egypt, basically looks at all ten of their gods and says, all right, you want to worship these gods? I'm going to give you more of these gods than you can comprehend. They had a god that they worshipped that looked like a frog. In fact, read the Bible. Read the story of the, 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 ten, the ten plagues of Egypt. And when they come to, when, 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 the, when he says, look, get rid of the frogs, get rid of the frogs, get rid of the frogs, Pharaoh actually says, okay, get rid of them tomorrow. We want one more day with them. That's insanity. And yet, they were so comfortable with their gods that it was like, we're going to see if our gods can do it. No, no, no. God just simply said, all right, you want, you, you, I'll give you a fill of it. I'll show you your God, how inefficient your gods really are. Jesus God comes to this earth, wraps himself in humanity, lives among us and dies, physically dies on a cross. They take his dead body, they wrap it up in cloth, they put it in a tomb. Rome says, we're going to make sure he don't come out. We're going to put a seal and we're going to put a guard in front of it. We're going to lock that baby up tighter than it can be locked up. And we're going to make sure nothing happens. And God went, really? That's all you got? And Jesus comes out of the tomb, alive, 
shows himself to the next point, and, and, and all of Rome is going, man, what are we going to do now? Why? Because your God can do so much more than you ask or think. And so, you, again, the Bible says a bird doesn't hit the ground that God doesn't know. God numbered the hairs of your head. This, this, for those of us who are getting older, this is an incredible thought. Okay? You know, you know, yeah, yeah. Some of you are in single digits. Um, you know, no, but I mean, you know, but, but here's what I think. It, it's incredible. The scripture says that they're numbered. You know what that means? It doesn't mean this morning that, that I lost 10 hairs. It means that I lost hair number 3,762 and hair number 4,222. Really? I didn't even know that. Because that's how incredible my God is. I mean, look at this world. Look at, look, look at the human hand and how it all works together. Go figure that out. You have a God who just went, you know what, let's make this out of mud. And yet, you and I come up against stuff in our lives and we go, oh, I just don't know if I can get through this one. How big is your God? Oh, this is a tough one. Yeah, it might be a tough one. Well, you don't understand. You know how big this giant is? You know what? It don't matter. Because your God's bigger, or he should be. And Paul writes to these people and says, look, the one thing I want you guys to understand. Again, they were all bent out of shape because Paul's in prison. This was rattling their faith, and they were losing hope. And Paul said, look, don't lose heart. Just like David told us all, look, don't lose heart. We got this. Paul writes to these people and says, look, don't lose heart. God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. According to his power that's at work in us, he's going to use us to do it, just like he used David to take care of Goliath. I don't want to challenge you because some of you are up against some big stuff and you're getting discouraged and you're getting overwhelmed by it and you're... You just can't see a way through it or out of it or over it. Or You've got a really big God who can do more than you can ask or think. Uh, those of us who've been at this place for a long time will tell you this. Never in a million years when we prayed and asked God to use us in this community, ever imagined this all we wanted was god use us god it's your church it's your place if you want it keep it going if not it's your call and we walk in here amazed i mean i i I, you know I, i i just cannot tell you how overwhelming it is to be able to look at it and go God, what in the world? Who would I, I talk to people and they're like, really? You got a church in the country that you had to build a building? Most of them are trying to figure out what to do with all their buildings. And I'm able to say, yeah, it's, it's amazing what God's doing. You know, and, and the guys will tell you, you know, my prayer is God, just don't let us mess it up. You know? Use us, you know, use us so that people can see Christ in us. And, 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 and God has done so much more than I could ever thought would ever happen here.
And it's God. You know, I have friends, you know, like, oh, what's the secret? Don't let me mess it up, God. You know, you know, it's not a formula. It's just simply following God with your heart and letting God direct it and trusting God. You know, I can't tell you the number of times we made decisions, guys. We've made decisions. We've made, we've made financial commitments when the money wasn't there, and we just said, you know what? If God really wants it, God's going to pay for it. And, and the ways we have, and I'm not saying, you know, it's like, you know, you know, oh, give the pastor a new Corvette, and God will pay for it. No, no that's not what we're doing. Uh, you know, because again, the key right here is, by the way, let me, rabbit trail about praying for stuff. You know, everybody's like, name it and claim it kind of stuff. Okay. You understand what this says here? The whole focus of prayer is God's glory. You know, I don't think I can say, you know, you know, okay, God, you know, give me like a $10 million house and you'll be glorified, you know. Um, there, there comes a sensibility about how we pray, you know. And, and when your prayer is about what you're going to get rather than what, how God's going to be glorified, that's what David does. David goes in and says, look, you messed with the wrong God. He didn't focus on Israel. He didn't focus on, he said, you messed with the wrong God. And, and, and that's important, that God gets honored and glorified. And Paul here says, we want the church to reflect the glory of God. That's our challenge this week. And what you're bumped up against, how big's your God? Can, can he help you get through it or not? Paul says, the power of God that is in you is far greater than you could ever imagine. I've watched it work here. I've seen it in my own life. As we've come up against walls and we've come up against things when we've had to say, God, I'm going to trust you. And I watch God do, honestly, I sit back and just shake my head. And I put those stakes down to say, all right, God, when the difficult times come, when I come up against the next big giant, don't let me forget how you took me through these situations as well. And you'll do the same for you. So I end it this way this morning. Paul reminds these people that God can do more than you ask or think. But we have to focus on his glory and trust him that he will walk with us through those circumstances and situations. It's not about why. It's about how I can use my circumstances and situations to bring glory to you. No matter what comes our way. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we all have stuff that comes into our lives that uh, becomes overwhelming. Lord, we all have times that it's so easy to get focused on what's in front of us that we forget that you are standing with us. So help us, like David, to be able to confront those situations and circumstances with a confidence and a trust that you are with us through it and you will work it out in a way to be honored and glorified. And Lord, like David, will you help us to use us? Use us. And Lord, like David, sometimes we're not much. But Lord, you have chosen the weak things, the foolish things, the things that don't make sense to bring glory to your name. So, Lord, that's a category most of us can relate to. So help us to do that this week. And use us 
so that people may see Christ. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's